You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D, the podcast that explores the power of inclusion and why disability is an important part of the workplace diversity and inclusion conversation. Produced by the Ontario Disability Employment Network, with your hosts, Jeanette Campbell and Dean Askin. Hello there, from Hollywood North. That's what Canada is known as because so many television shows and series and theatrical and television films have been and are filmed and produced in this country. Here are a few. Maybe you've heard of some of these. Supernatural, Kim's Convenience, Schitt's Creek, Hudson and Rex, Deadpool, Shazam, Riverdale, Star Trek Beyond, Star Trek Discovery, The Umbrella Academy, The Hot Zone Anthrax, It. Hi, I'm Dean Askin, and welcome to this episode of You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D. And I'm Jeanette Campbell. And according to figures from the Motion Picture Association, film and television production in Canada employed over 240,000 people in 2021-22. We're talking here about everything from acting talent and extras to sound editors and technicians to camera operators, makeup artists to set carpenters. But... Of all the people who work on all these productions in all these capacities, how many are people who have a disability? What exactly is the state of disability representation and inclusion in the film, television, and modeling industry in Canada? And how is disability portrayed in it? That is what we're going to be exploring in this second and final part of our series on disability in the media. By the way, if you haven't heard part one, Have a listen to that episode about how disability is covered in the media on the journalism side. And speaking of that, we're not entertainment reporters, so it's not every day that we get a chance to have a conversation like the one we're about to have with our three guests. They're all directly involved in the film, television, and modeling industry. Joining us from Edmonton is Katie McMillan. She's the founder and director of operations of Hello Inclusive. Hello is the only talent agency in Canada that represents only acting and modeling talent who have a disability. And from Edmonton, we're joined by Natasha Yurko. She's a model, actor, and writer. Natasha is one of the wheelie peeps. She was one of the featured cast members of the new nine-part unscripted CBC series called Push that aired earlier this year on CBC Television and CBC Gem. The real-life series followed an unlikely, eclectic group of friends who were wheelchair users as they navigate life. Push is the first show of its kind on Canadian primetime network television. Natasha was also recently featured in an international ad campaign for Lancome and L'Oreal about Hapta, their newest cosmetic applicator accessibility technology. And joining us from Toronto is George Alavizos. George is a wheelchair user actor who's been on the highly successful Canadian police drama Hudson and Rex, as well as Star Trek Discovery and You're My Hero. George is also a dedicated advocate for disability inclusion in Canada's film and television industry, and he's in an influential position to advocate for that. George is an elected council member of ACTRA, both nationally and in Toronto. And in case you're not familiar with that acronym, ACTRA, A-C-T-R-A, is the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television and Radio Artists. It's the largest organization of cultural workers in Canada. That's right, Jeanette. And the Toronto branch is the largest and most powerful ACTRA branch in the country. 
Katie McMillan, Natasha Yurko, and George Alavizos. Welcome to You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having us. Well, we're very excited that you've been able to join us for this conversation. And I'm going to throw out the first question from this podcast today. What we'd really like to start out with is understanding how each of you would describe the current state of disability representation and inclusion in the industry in Canada today. Um, who would like to start us off on this conversation? George. Great. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Um, well, I started my journey as a professional actor being in uh, a theater program back in 2015. I graduated from U of T Sheridan for theater and um, trying to figure out how my career was going to be kind of manifested and created. It was quite difficult to see the lack of representation in both on stage and even in film and TV and in uh, media work. And so I started to be more and more of an advocate throughout my time after graduation. And I've realized that the representation of people with disabilities in both film and TV and on stage has been severely lacking. Um, you know, I know that there was like a, a, a stat back in 2019 saying that less than like 2% of all roles in the 100 top grossing films um, featured a character and, and television featured a character with a disability. And out of that 2%, over 95% of those roles were given to an able-bodied actor. So um, representation has been severely lacking. I think it's starting to be talked about more. However, I don't think that the numbers are kind of reflecting uh, what, or the conversations are really reflecting the numbers at the moment. And I think that representation has kind of gone down a little bit um, when things are not talked about. And then when things are talked about, representation goes up a little bit, but it's still not at the level of our able-bodied peers, especially coming from, for me, having a formal training background, I think it's still quite apparent that there's still a lot of work to be done. Katie or Natasha, what about, what about your insight on that? I mean, I, I agree. I'm just going to hop on if that's okay. I agree that it's still lacking. Um, like George, I do come from a theater background and I began um, working with theater companies, mostly writing our own work, creating our own characters because there were not characters out there written for us and nobody really could have that open mind to see you know, a Cinderella in a wheelchair when the story isn't about the wheelchair. So I think right now a struggle, especially in narrative film um, and just performance, it's getting out of that inspirational cliche story about, okay, if somebody in a disability is in this show, it is about them and what their disability is and, and like overcoming it instead of just character who happens to be in a wheelchair when the story's completely not about their disability. Um, so I think, I think that ground, like we're, we're making some ground and I mean, Katie's going to help shed a lot of light on that with, um, with what Kello has done. But, but I think there's a lot of room, like just for instance, myself um, working on push, meeting other people, behind the scenes 
working behind the camera, behind the story. And this is part of, you know, how they wanted to produce push is using people with lived experience and disability in those roles. That was like, that was a huge um, surprise and like just a privilege for me to see. And so I feel like, but I feel like that's kind of wrong because if I'm someone as uh, a person, as a quadriplegic, um, for those of you who can't see myself, I am surprised to see other quadriplegics behind the camera. I feel like that's 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 all that's that's a issue. You know, I should be the one as a person with a lived experience and an artist with a lived experience should be like, oh yeah, that that's cool, that's normal. But it was, it, and I'm not surprised that there are professionals and artists in wheelchairs. I'm surprised that they're they're obtaining these um, opportunities because in my mind they're they're far and few between and the industry is very um, ableist still in the hiring process and I think that is a, an obstacle that we're still needing to overcome in the industry yeah um I guess it's my turn to jump in here um yeah so coming from my perspective just for a bit of context I uh, do not I am not a person I do not identify as a person with a disability although I do have a, a daughter a 13 year old daughter who is uh, has cerebral palsy she's a power chair user. So disability is a huge part of my life. Um, clearly a big part of the reason why I'm doing the work that we are doing with Kello. And to answer your question about the current state of disability representation, inclusion in the industry today, I mean, I can probably summarize it briefly from the view that we've seen as agents um, is that everyone is having this conversation about inclusion. Everybody, like everybody we talk to, which is why our growth has been as an agency has been rapid um, in the connections we've made and the people that have found us, um, you know, not us, you know, going and cold calling and knocking on doors saying, hey, have you considered disabled talent? People are coming to us. Big names are coming to us. But that said, everybody wants to be inclusive and they have no idea how in an authentic way that you know, as both George and Natasha just both spoke about from their own lived experience, what that truly looks like. So, you know, Natasha's perspective on the fact that, you know, this, the, the storyline being centered around the disability as opposed to, hey, I'm just a character and also oops, happen to have a mobility aid or whatever that might be, you know, um, and, you know, understanding that having the conversation is the first step, but then doing the work to actually get people with disabilities in front of the camera and behind the camera in an authentic way that is um, going to do a service to all disabled Canadians, there's so far to go. But I really feel positive about the fact that we're having the conversations because the doors are really open for us to say, hey, actually, here's some things you need to know. And not just us, but like our whole roster of um, disabled talent, all 137 of them, um, who are getting booking work and getting in there, you know, every time you have a person with a disability on set or on a project, everybody learns. And it's not because you have to sit down in front of a PowerPoint, you just see it, you feel it, you know it. And, you know, as a, as a parent, that's been my experience. Like I had no, I had no connection to disability for the first 26 years of my life. And then Kelty came along and all of a sudden my whole world is different. And the way I view everything is different. Um, and that's, uh, you know, by proxy, I'm, I'm, I'm not the person with the disability, but anytime there's a person involved in a project, everybody learns. And that's how we have true authentic inclusion. Last point I will say about that too, is just understanding that these changes 
right now are happening on the tail end of projects. They're saying like, you know, we're putting together an ad campaign where they said, oh, by the way, we should include some diversity, some disability at the end. And our hope, and it might take time, it will take time, um, is to start that process a lot earlier. So as Natasha said, you know, she wrote a lot of her own material when she was going through theater school because no one was writing those characters and nobody, you know, it needs to start from the ground up where you, you know, you see it as part of any storyline. I mean, if one in four Canadians are identify, self-identify as disabled, then there should be, these conversations should be happening at all levels all the time, like one out of four times, you know what I mean? But they're not yet. So, you know, seeing the, having champions of this, from the, you know, from the inspiration in your mind all the way up to, you know, it's been released as a feature film needs, needs to have, you know, the, the thinking through and, and inclusion needs to start there. It sounds like experience and experiences are slowly changing. That's what I want to ask about in your experiences, you know, what have been or, or still are the biggest barriers to, to getting those auditions to landing roles or even being considered for roles. Natasha, what do you think? So, okay, before Kello, um, I had a, another agent that and I didn't get a lot of work, um, but the auditions that I did get were scary. And at times, you know, it was, there was always a huge risk on, and it all, it all wrapped around accessibility. So um, can I take my power chair? Do I take a, my power chair to auditions? Hell no. I would take a manual chair, something that could be potentially lifted upstairs, which I had to do many times. Um, and one time it was so risky that I was pretty much scaling down, um, you know, like the those like old school fire escapes. Um, and I only got out because I had a big cab driver dude that could help me get out because it's just... It was just those kind of barriers um, that that limited me um, to the auditions that I could go to, and and how I could go to them. Um, so it, it was, you know, it was just putting me out there, but not knowing. And now that Kello's here, you know, there's somebody there that's looking out for these kind of things, these kind of barriers. They have that earlier conversation. Um, you know, with the, the, the who's asking for the talent ahead of time. George, have you had similar experiences? For me, I think I, I like when it comes to auditioning. Um, so my last agent that I had, um, I left them this past year and I moved to a new agent, but um, they were, they did get me into a lot of rooms. However, um, of course, like when it came to my acting ability, it was always, you know, at the level of another performer, but it was, it, the problem was the stereotyping of, of the fact that I was in a wheelchair and the fact that I couldn't go out for different roles that didn't require that. And so the, a lot of the jobs that I did book had to do with my wheelchair, um, and then, you know, there were a select few theater companies and commercial projects and film and TV projects that did actually look beyond that. But it, it was very far in between. Um, my new agent that I have now, I'm, I'm grateful that she does actually put me out for a lot more diverse roles and whatnot. But when it comes to like actually booking a job, 
a lot of the time it's still heavily biased around accessibility and you know they a lot of the terms that they use on production is liability and they always use that term all the time and it's so annoying because they look at us as a liability more than an actual performer that's trying to do a job and you know accessibility doesn't have to cost a lot of money it all depends on the the project and there are so many grants in place around the country and there are so many people that you can reach out to for help on, around that but yeah i i would say that it's quite similar that um you know it's the, the type of roles that we go for are pretty like they're pretty slim with what they actually book us for but i'm hoping that you know, as time goes on and as I get more well-known and other performers with disabilities get more well-known, that things will start to change. But, you know, Ali Stroker won a Tony Award and still things haven't really changed. So I'm I'm waiting for, for a proper uh, revolution in a way of how we perceive disabled talent on screen and even behind the screen, because that is what defines like that's part of our makeup of our country right so i want to bring in katie's pers perspective here you know as an agent you know what's it like trying to to book people yeah just to uh, lots of things to say about this on a high level i think um one of the major ones if i can summarize is expectation like um people will say oh we'd really like to be inclusive we'd really like to include disabled talent that's like everybody's saying that but then like what they expect is that there's not going to really, it's just, they're going to have a talent who happens to be wheelchairs. They're going to show up on set and nothing's going to need to change or, um, pardon me, understanding that, you know, compared to their non-disabled peers, the acting resume is going to be a lot shorter for many people because until only recently did anyone even consider a career in this industry as a person with a disability. Um, and those expectations, it's interesting because I've seen it a few times where they're like, yeah, we really want to be inclusive. And then we send in some self tapes that aren't quite what they're expecting. We have to adapt whatever the casting call or the breakdown or the self tape instruction says we have to adapt it for access needs, et cetera. And then it's like, when they see it, they're like, oh, like this isn't, this isn't typical. I'm using giant air quotes here. This isn't normal. And then it's like to translate that into actual booking is, is, is difficult. And I, and the only difference and the difference is relationships. So what we've noticed is like we're on a casting platform and we can submit, you know, just like any other agent, like our talent for any role, like disability aside, like we're like, you know, there's a woman, you know, between the age of like 25 and 35 silent on camera for such and such a commercial. Oh, Tash would be a great fit. So we're going to put her forward. And like we get no response. It's crickets like because they haven't requested disability. As soon as we have a champion in that stream of decision making, like there's a casting director in Vancouver who does, um, who's learned about our agency, who loves us, and she has she has booked work for our talent every time we we send her submissions that were not necessarily for roles with people with disability because she's like, hey, decision maker, do you ever think about this? Like this kid could be someone with Down syndrome, or this woman could be a chair user, and so all of a sudden you have a champion involved in the decision-making process and the expectations are set because everyone is like, Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. That actually is really interesting. But to just send in cold with no explanation, like just submitting, we've had zero turnaround. As soon as we have one person who cares, we book work every time. So 
it, it is seemed to be the magic of the the personal connection to this because as soon as we have a conversation people are like oh that yeah of course you know and we have a chance to advocate talk a little bit about access needs and what that might look like on a per, per talent basis etc so forth so expectation i think is is the key difference right here because right now people aren't expecting the reality of what it means to actually be inclusive and you know Jumping off of that, Katie, you're talking about uh, that kind of response when you're when you're sending people out. Um, so, you know, Natasha is with you. George, if if he was with you, you're talking about that sort of reaction and experience. And uh, once somebody gets to the job, so if we turn that question around for a second, what are what's the industry response like? to what you're doing. And when I say industry response, I mean, like your, your peers, like the other talent agents and booking companies. Is that for me? Oh, absolutely. Think about it this way. Are you, are, are you one of the, I mean, you're the only mm-hmm. agency of your kind in the country mm-hmm. um, that's, that's, you know, sort of set up the way that you're set up. What about other talent agencies like George is talking about, you know, at a previous, previous talent agency, Natasha's worked for other people or with through other people, not sure the terminology for when you've got somebody who's putting you forward for for auditions. Um, So what is what is the response been like from the talent providing side of the industry? It's been interesting because if they're not, they don't feel like direct competitors. Technically they are because we're all, you know, have talent, we're booking for similar jobs, but it's like, oh, we're just this different thing that nobody's doing. And when we speak to other agencies, like we've met with a couple big ones in Toronto and Vancouver, and they're just like, okay, this is great. So when they have these, you know, smaller divisions, sometimes they call them special projects or inclusive divisions, terms I find a bit unpalatable because it's quite othering, um, I think. And they've kind of gone, oh yeah, this is really needed. And like when we get roles that are asking specifically for disability or diversity or, you know, those kinds of, you know, we are going to come to you guys because we just don't have that. And, you know, they'll often have maybe one, I, I, I caution with the word tokenistic, but, you know, they'll have the one chair user or maybe somebody who has a limb difference. And again, I use this word with a giant grain of salt, but what seemed to be for me, at least more palatable disabilities where there's not a ton of access accommodation, like someone like my daughter with a speech delay and hearing loss and a power chair and upper and lower limb mobility. Like that's a lot for someone who's never even dipped their toe in this, you know, to kind of understand, wrap their head around all of that. I mean, I'm, I've been doing it for 13 years and I still am learning. Right. So I get that. And so they kind of have this, like, well, we have, we have this one person who has a prosthetic or whatever. So we're doing a good job and we're going, no, this is not, this is not what it looks like to be truly inclusive. Like disability is this beautiful, diverse spectrum of interesting, complex overlapping intersectionalities. And it, and, and nobody sees it that way. It's still, you know, including the talent agents, it's still this sort of, oh, but we have a chair user. And so they look at us, I think, very much not like competition, because if I'm being frank, disability scares the crap out of people who have never spent time being around it, which is exactly why we need to be around. Because it's not scary. It's awesome and cool and interesting. And you look at the world so differently. And 
all of these wonderful things. But right now it's, it's scary for people. It's, it's still like, well, what? I don't know the questions to ask. I don't want to offend, you know, all of that. So I feel that way with the talent agents too. They're just, and last note, I think that's a little bit of our secret sauce is um, that, you know, somebody did ask me, what's to stop these giant talent agencies that have been around for like decades from just swooping in and doing this. And it's the same answer. I'm like, cause disability scares people. They don't know. They don't have any kind of close connection, lived experience. So to come in and do what we're doing, like they don't know how. And, and it comes down to the fact that disability is a huge part of my life. And even more so now with Kello, I know more people with this. You don't even know how much we talk about disability in this household. It is all the time, every time, you know, <laughs> like, um, so it's been, it's been, it's been cool. I think it's interesting um, bringing up fear on that side of thing and that disability is scary because um, auditioning from a disability perspective, I feel like there's a there's a fear there that um, the actor has. or like just speaking from my own experience, I'm my fear is that the um, the who's asking for the talent doesn't have that open mind enough to be like what how can I adapt this role and so when I read the sides I'm like oh I can't I can't read for this part what are you doing what are you sending me this this part for like this doesn't apply to me when you know if you know ahead of time that they're open um to adaptions then that that there might be room for that but I think that there's this like this communication that is lacking that also creates fear on the outside for the actor and the performer so then then that that kind of causes that causes insecurity when you're when you're sending in an audition um, so that's also why this this relationship and communication this 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 is so important to to create and define yeah and to go off of that too like um my last agent I couldn't even get into their office to actually have a meeting with them. They would have to meet me in the park or at a coffee shop or whatever. And um, and they've been around for a very long time. Now, my current agent, they're in a new building, like even their older building, they were wheelchair accessible. Like I'm, I'm very happy about that. I was able to actually go in for a meeting and meet with the agent that wanted to be represented uh, wanted to represent me um and so now I'm thankful like I'm happy you know I'm I'm um but it, it's still a very new thing for a lot of people like I I was very lucky that I got into the agent that I got into um because now I'm I'm with the characters which is a very big agency across the country but um when it comes to like some of the um other agents that I applied to, it was either crickets or they didn't really know how to represent uh, an actor in a wheelchair. They don't really know what to do or they think it would be too much work. So I'm grateful that the, the agent that I'm with now is a newer agent and she has a lot of drive to kind of make the changes that I think she can make. But it's still a very big learning curve. There are a lot of agents across the country and even in North America and across the world that are still very... Um, they're very like one way about disability, but it's again, such a spectrum of intersectionality and it affects everybody from every minority group. So it's really important that we, you know, celebrate that in, in the way that we represent talent. 
I heard an interesting comparison um, that, you know, it is standard protocol for a child actor to have a parent on set. In fact, it's even, it's, it's standard, like you can't send your child on set without a parent who is there as well. And there's a bunch of reasons, I believe, George, you would be able to clarify that that's in actors, like, um, you know, kind of mandated contractual uh, verbiage. And we need to get something similar that is just industry expectation that that's similar for anybody with access needs or caregiving or, you know, the, that, that that's just like, you know, to relieve some of that, like, liability concern or some of that, like, you know, hesitation and that becomes standard, then then it's, it's, it's normalized that pressure is taken off. But right now, like, that's not standard. So just wanted to chime in because I thought it was relevant. Everything that all of you have, have, have been saying is there's, it, it sounds like there's still a lot of learning to be done on the hiring side in, in the industry, but, but it sounds like some inroads are slowly being made. So George, as the advocate in the industry that you are, what do you think is being done right? I mean, even though it's not perfect, far from perfect yet, what do you think is being done right now that maybe wasn't being done right even two or five years ago? I think one major thing is the fact that I'm giving, like I'm given the platform a lot more now to talk about the problems that we're facing uh, more than ever before. Um, like during COVID, because Zoom is very accessible for a lot of people, I was able to do a lot of different panels and and whatnot for, you know, TIFF and for the Empire Club of Canada and a bunch of other very esteemed uh, organizations that wanted to hear me out. And I actually had the opportunity to talk with a lot of people in the community um, and we got to do a lot of different uh, panels and stuff. It was really cool. And um, because of that, I think having the platform and being an elected council member for actor and whatnot, and even for equity, because I'm also on council for the live theater union too, um, it's been giving me the platform to actually talk about disability at every meeting, to actually have these conversations happening all the time. Like, like, for example, I started the uh, Disability Alliance for ACTRA, which is um, a subcommittee that I really hope will become a full committee eventually, that is there to kind of be in a way very similar to the Out ACTRA TO committee, which is for people in the LGBTQ plus community and other uh, communities and stuff on, on, on how to like properly engage with a, a, a type of community in, in the work that we do. And um i think that it's for example like i i was in you're my hero which is a cbc gem tv show that was created by a, a wheelchair user who has cp um named sean and uh and it was created on a major platform yes it was a low budget tv show but it was still um heavily um supported by the network and stuff and so i think that there is and that was the first time actually that i was the I wasn't the only disabled talent in on a gig. Usually I'm one of the only people on a gig that gets to be a part of the show. Like that summer, I filmed You're My Hero. And then I also filmed Gen V, which is the new boy spinoff for Amazon Prime. And that one was also like the I was the only disabled talent in the entire show. And you could tell that they kind of wrote that sh that that character for the pilot to kind of help with the um 
the diversity and whatnot of the TV show, but it um it it, it you, you can tell that there's still a long way to go. But I think that there's little movements happening within the community and we're getting we're given a platform more than ever before that I think will eventually start the, like we we are in the middle of the revolution. I think that it's still it's happening more than ever before. And I think that because of that, there are more accommodations being done and more people talking about it all the time. But I think that, you know, we still have ways to go, but I think that we're headed in the right direction. Natasha or Katie, if, if, if you have a, a perspective you want to just add in there, feel free for a sec. I think that, I like, I mean, I agree with George, we're headed in the right direction. That is like, you know, <sighs> progress, not perfection, right? So, you know, even though we're mostly casting um, people with disabilities for specifically disabled roles and slowly moving that needle towards, could be any role, doesn't matter at all. Like, do you know what I mean? Um, I, I still take those as important steps in this journey because again, if we don't have any disability even acknowledged, which honestly, if we look 10 years ago was almost the case, um, you know, this is how, this is social change. It's slow and it's painful and it's people that have to care about it and the conversations need to keep happening. So long way to go, but like, can't discount that these conversations are happening. And even if we, you know, like I said, progress, not perfection, I guess would be the best summary in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. And I completely agree with that too. And I think that it, it's important to celebrate the roles that are being created um, for sure. But um, I think for me, it's more to do with the fact that like I, I would love to be cast as a disabled character in a show or whatever, but it's a matter of like how they kind of um, go about it. I think that there are a lot of roles that are written in a very pitied viewpoint or um, they're not flushed out as a character and that, that I have a problem with. But it, when it comes to like celebrating representation for sure, but I think that we also need to have more people in the writer's room and even behind the camera kind of creating characters that, that are a little more fleshed out and actually talk more about um, what we go through as a disabled individual every day. Um, and yeah, I would say too, like, I think it's probably better to weigh in Natasha or George as far as what, what a good example would be, but we need to promote, talk about, and understand when we see a good example. The one that I comes to mind is if you've seen Sex Education from the UK, um, one of the leads there is um, a chair user. And the, I mean, he's one of the central romantic characters and, and, and they don't talk about his disability at all. Like he is like to me, um, from what I saw and what I know, it was really well done. And those are the examples that we, because people will focus on all the, the garbage because there is so much garbage, either a non-disabled person being cast in a disabled role or the tokenism or the pitying or the, you know, the tragedy, the inspiration, all of the associations we're trying to get away from. But when you see one that's well done, talk about it, promote it, to push, you know, like, or George, your own experiences on the show that you've been on where you feel like those need to take a spotlight because people will learn by example and you know just including disability is a good step but unless we're doing it in the right way so take those examples and like highlight them talk about them go and tell people to go and look at them and make those comparisons i mean it's all part of the advocacy work so yeah i think that um change is slow like like you guys were saying it's slow and it's hard um but obviously like we are booking work we are making progress. Um, 
I loved sex education. I love that example. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's when people see um, other people in chairs or with disabilities on screen that they're like, hey, this is possible. I can do that. And it's also like the people who aren't even thinking about it that just unconsciously see that, that helps to devoid and diminish more bias out there. Um, Push is a great um, example because a lot of the story for those who have watched it, it's not about what happened to me or what happened to any of the rest of the cast and how, why they're disabled and how they're disabled. It's really just about what's going on in our lives. And, um, and I think that that, that is something that I'm so not used to in, in doing a lot of bio, autobiographical work. You know, it's always about like, oh, why is she in a chair? Not, you know, what's happening in her life. So um, I feel like Push is a great example of, of using a full disabled cast and putting that on screen. And you know, Natasha, I was I was just about to ask you to to share a bit about Push and also had uh, the work that you just did around the the ad campaign with L'Oreal and um, Lancome and with the the Hapta technology. Um, and if you could sort of talk a little bit about those experiences and what you're seeing and what you think that this is signaling, um, what it's signaling in the industry and maybe what it's signaling in in community in general. Absolutely. Um, you know, of course, there's uh, Bean, who's the producer of Push. Um, she's got, you know, so much more to say about Push. But um, I, what I loved about it is, is just that, that it just wasn't. A, like, people who were in story and behind scenes were very careful that we weren't being asked questions about what had happened to us and that the focus wasn't on our injuries or our disabilities um and that it was just so much more on who we are as people um and just putting it all out there the fact that ding ding we are um, approved for season two um also shows you know huge gains in 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 making making way for more inclusive film out there the booking with Lancome I think was like huge honor huge success and a wild surprise um when it came to to that contact I was so proud to be there representing this product and so proud of Lancome um for doing it because way to get beauty on the market, like way to get, sorry, way to get disability on the beauty market. You know, we want, we want to be sexy too. We are sexy and we want to show the world that we can be sexy and what better way to do it than one of the biggest makeup brands out there. Um, so that was super incredible. And um, yeah, I was very proud to work on both, both shows or both to have both opportunities. You know, there's, still accessible accessibility barriers with um, the cost of some of these things because a lot of people with disabilities aren't breaking in the dough that um, that it would cost to buy some of these products right but um, but I mean it's it's still product progress 
it's still progress nonetheless. Yeah. And that's, you know, and I think that's something that I'm hearing all three of you talk about is like, uh, sometimes one of the terms we use at Odin is perfection is the enemy of done. And it's also just like accepting the fact that, you know, nothing is like, you have to start somewhere and you're right, it's progress and it's coming. And even when you start to look at economies of scale and things like that, because I was looking at some of the prices um, and I was like, wow, this is expensive. But I know that, you know, they just released that Apple Oculus yesterday or something and it's $3,500, some new Apple product, you know, but we know in, yeah. in a year it's, it's not going to be 35. So the more, the more that we push these things out, the, the faster it can come to come to market at an accessible dollar amount as well. So that'll be really exciting. Yeah. You know, yeah. over the over the years, having these discussions on advocacy, um, on disability rights and um inclusivity in, in the industry, I do feel like these even these conversations are changing to be more positive. I feel like um over the years, even the last five years, my responses and my cohort's responses were a lot more negative and a lot maybe more harsh on um, what the issues are. Um, but this, especially this conversation, it does, like I'm recognizing it feels a little bit lighter. So it's like, hmm, there's progress being made. Hmm, maybe there's hope in this, in what we're doing in this, as George said, revolution. I really like that. So so let, so let's pick up on that for a minute. I mean, let, let's circle back to that first question, you know. You've all told us, you know, that things are slowly inching forward and, and the, the perspective of things, how are now. So let's, you know, put the crystal ball in action for a minute. I mean, what's your vision or what's your hope for the state of the industry and how it will look, say, five, ten years from now? I would like for more of us to be celebrated at a bigger level. I, I want, well, you know, something that we talk about in actor a lot of the time is um, building a star system in our country. We don't really have one in Canada the same way that they have down in the US. And that's the only way that by building a star system and having disability being a part of that, that's the only way that we're going to really get the, 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 the notice that we really want from every project that we've been a part of or whatever. And I think that it's starting to happen. I think that, you know, I in five to 10 years, I would love to see more of us being represented, more of us being celebrated, more of us winning awards, you know, you know, on so many different stages. Um, I want to, I want us to be in leading parts. I want us to be creating our work. I want us to be um, big executive producers. I want us to be, you know, a part of so many different parts of, and directors and stuff. And I want us to be a part of all aspects of the industry. And I think that we're heading in that direction. I think that the more that we show that we are here and we're not going anywhere, um, it's going to kind of push people to want to include us more. And I think that that will happen. And I think that we're heading in that direction because, you know, we've made huge strides in so many different um, diversity conversations, but the one conversation that I find that tends to be neglected a lot of the time on a bigger scale is a lot of the time disability. And um, I think it's starting to become the forefront. I'm also a part of 
bargaining for different things and stuff. So I can always bring that up in, in, in conversations when it comes to the union and all of that. And I want to continue that. So yeah, so I think that just building a star system, having our voices be heard on a bigger stage is where I want us to get to. And I think that will happen. Natasha, what about you? What do you what do you say? You know, the I I think that my ideally I'd like to be recognized as something useful. Like this, this is a working relationship. And I want other people on the other side of the industry to know that people with disabilities have something valuable to offer, something that they can use, something tangible. Um, so I don't, you know, need to be tokenized. I don't need to be used in that way because we supply government funding for you. You know, I want to be valued for something that I can offer and and know that there is a relationship and many relationships that can be built. The spectrum of disability is so wide and so vast. So I get it. Like it's it's difficult. It's not just about wheelchair users. Disabilities are so have come in so many different forms. Um, which is again, I guess, where the fear comes. But like we're very talented individuals have disabilities too. And that relationship is is like is just I want to see it built. I want to see it built between the professionals the non-disabled professionals and the professionals. And I want that relationship to be, you know, figured out and worked on and normalized. Katie, I know that when we talked before the show, you were, you were saying that you realized that now was the penultimate time to start Kellum Inclusive. What do you see on the agency side? What do you see five or 10 years down the road? Oh, good question. Um, well, my co the co my partner, co-founder Austin definitely put it succinctly. He said, if we had done this five years ago, we wouldn't have, it wouldn't have gone anywhere. And if we do this five years from now, it might be overdone. So I feel like, like you mentioned the penultimate time to start something like this, but I don't like that view of like in five years from now, it will be overdone. Like it, there is no overdoing. Like, I mean, you can imagine putting together an ad campaign in 2023 without members of all kinds of visible minorities except disabilities just sort of been left out of that. Like it's not, you know, I just, you know, Kello actually just won a pitch competition at a, um, a big um, startup pitch competition in Calgary last week. Actually, we were the winners in our future of work category, which was like super exciting. But the pitch that I was talking about was, you know, the way, you know, the, the way I entered it is I had this Revlon ad up from like the early 80s that was just a bunch of thin white women and I said do you remember when this was the world's only definition of beauty since then we've redefined things a bit um, and I showed one of the Dove um, real beauty campaigns where there was lots of body size um, cultural ethnic diversity etc which was you know age diversity that was all shown there and I said but you know what if you're a young person that looks something like this and I had a picture of my daughter you know one young lady with limb difference and a little girl that uses a pediatric walker I was like you know, we need to keep redefining that definition of, of beauty and what that looks like. So, you know, five years from now, I think it should be the same as the way we've come from, you know, you couldn't be a model unless you were a skinny white woman um, to, you know, that needs to change in five years from now. I don't think it can be overdone. I mean, if a quarter of people identify as disabled, then a quarter of people in any and all advertisement campaigns should also identify as disabled. So, you know, there isn't a future that I see that we can overdo it. Like it, it, it just needs to reflect reality. You know, 
Well, and Katie, you know, it's it's great to hear you put it in that way because that's you you're the first person who's articulated really the reason why we call this podcast. You can't spell inclusion without a D. Like you just this can't continuously be left out of the conversation. It can't be left out of the representation, image, visuals. Uh, it you you just you can't spell inclusion without a D. And um and you're right, you also can't overdo it. So you know, thinking about that for anybody in the industry who might be listening to this podcast right now, what would be the most important message that you would want them to take away from it? Um, George, let's start with you. My message for any industry professional would be that might be listening would be to to stop with the 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 fear of including disability to educate yourself and to finally liberate the voices that have been underrepresented for a very long time. Katie, what about you? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I'm going to defer to Natasha. I have to think still. It's true. There's so much. There's so much. I just, I keep going to something that I preach. I challenge who's listening to open your minds, especially if you're in casting and, you know, push yourself to open your minds to be able to see what else is possible. You know, go a different route, kill your darlings. Don't, don't just do what is easy, you know, scrap what is easy because good things are difficult. Good things take time, and that's where the real reward is. I agree with all of those points, and I would say, like, the key takeaways is, like, I don't know, okay, the one thing that resonated for me, which was, again, I think I sort of touched on it in my last point, but, like, in 2023, like, to to do a full campaign or project that would not include a person from the BIPOC community would not be okay right? Like that's, we're, we're there now, right? Like that's, that's important. And we've, there's so many other, you know, but that's where we need to get to with disability. Like people need to see that comparison, you know, this othering business needs to stop, you know, like, you know, you're going to have your regular models and then you'll have your models with disabilities. Like they're just models. And I think that, you know, we've come so far with other minority groups, not that there's not a long way to go. Um, we're getting there with sexual diversity um, and gender diversity, but like, we're so far off the mark with disability. Like, if we can do it in all these other arenas, there is literally no reason why we can't do it with this. Like, just wake up people, despite the challenges, the fear, the all the blah, blah, blah. Like, we've done it. We can do it. We're a society that it can be accepting, but we're just so that's my message is like, we've done this work. We just need to do more of it. And, and and that's a powerful message. And you've also, I mean, you've all been great. And we, you know, we try to ask questions on this podcast that, you know, really make people think and draw out some great insights. And you've all done a great job. And we've talked about so much. I mean, have we covered everything? We Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you think is important to mention before we wrap things up? 
Central, like, I mean, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm not the one with the the same type of, you know, actual like lived experience as a disabled person, but I would love to take the opportunity to talk about like two seconds of language, because I think that is actually such a sticking point for people. Um, and like the thing that resonated with me, despite all the nuance, and you can talk about person first um, or identity first language and, you know, all of the different names, like just say the word disabled or non-disabled. Um, you know, I heard a lovely um, disabled content creator speak about the fact that like saying even able-bodied, which lots of people use that term and it's not offensive, but just it centers, you know, somebody with, um, it centers the non-disabled person when you use able-bodied and that discounts the fact that people with disabilities sometimes have like someone with Down syndrome who identifies that her, their body is very able. Um, so just that simple, like that's been really helpful for me. And in default, it's disabled or non-disabled. And that's like, that's helpful because I think sometimes these conversations get stuck because people don't know what to say, you know, and it's simple and language matters. And there's my takeaway. Anybody want to add? <laughs> my, my, my takeaway would also be, you know, um, disabled is not a bad thing. Um, it's not something that I'm, I'm so proud of being disabled. I think my disabled body is beautiful and I don't want to be able-bodied. So I don't expect, I want the media to highlight the fact that I should be proud of what I bring and I shouldn't have to want to change who I am to kind of morph into what our media is trying to showcase. I think that, you know, I think that it, it, it's so it's so obvious that um, it's still a huge stigma and people kind of frown upon it and it's not the case for me. So I really don't, I don't resonate with a role that requires me to be like that. And I shouldn't have to be not like, not proud of who I am because of how society has made me feel. The world is not built for disabled people. They're built for the able-bodied world. And it's time that able-bodied people accommodate us instead of us having to accommodate to the whims and the the um the the fakeness that our society has created for us well said thank you i'm gonna throw something in at the end here um i would just go with like help normalize disability it's not a bad thing and almost every person potentially in their life is going to experience some form of being disabled. So, you know, take away the negative connotation and then we might not have so much issues with body image and being self-conscious or judging other people for being disabled. Help us normalize disability and then nobody will have a problem with saying non-disabled or disabled. I saw some uh, some hallelujahs coming off of that uh, statement for you know the people who are listening they don't they're not able to see our our little our little face boxes and we have the opportunity to be able to experience that so <laughs> I think you know on that note um, I think it's time for us to maybe wrap up this conversation and and I just you know there's been so many uh there's been so much that's been brought out in this conversation there's so many things for 
for I know personally for me to think about and and the insights that you've shared with with people here about about your experiences about um, you know the state of disability in film in television in modeling what what's happening in this industry in this country and you've even touched on what's happening in other countries as well so you know Natasha and George and Katie thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experiences and insights uh, with Dean and I and with our listeners. You're very welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for me as well to all three of our guests. I mean, it has been a great conversation. I'm like you, Jeanette. I'm still trying to process a lot of the things that that, uh, Katie and George and Natasha have said. You know, Jeanette, I guess we should look at it this way. I mean, we went big when we launched this show back in 2020 with a high profile guest for our very first episode. So it's kind of fitting that we're wrapping up our third podcast season with a high profile conversation with and about some of the talent here in Hollywood North. We like to go big or go home on you can't spell inclusion without a D, you know. And so on that note, we are going to go home (laughs) and and so that is it for this episode and and for the 2023 podcast season of you can't spell inclusion without a d so thank you for listening we'll be back in 2024 with more insight pack shows i'm jeanette campbell and i'm dean askin thanks again for listening wherever whenever and on whatever podcast app you're listening from Join us each episode as we have insightful conversations like this one and ones to come next season that explore disability inclusion in business and in our communities from all the angles. You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D is produced in Toronto, Canada by the Ontario Disability Employment Network. All rights reserved. Our podcast production team. Executive producer and host, Jeanette Campbell. Producer, Sue Defoe. Associate producer and host, Dean Askin. Audio editing and production by Dean Askin. Our podcast theme is Last Summer by Ixon. If you have feedback or comments about an episode, contact us at info at odinnetwork.com. That's info at O-D-E-N-E-T-W-O-R-K.com. Join us each episode for insights from expert guests as we explore the power of inclusion, the business benefits of inclusive hiring, and why disability is an important part of the diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation. Listen to You Can't Spell Inclusion Without a D on Podbean or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.